0: your products contain conflict minerals. The time for ignorance is long past. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's been about a year since the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission imposed a rule requiring manufacturers to disclose the presence of conflict minerals in their products. The term refers specifically to tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold, sourced from mines in the Democratic Republic of the Congo that are controlled by armed gangs. The rule was mandated by the Dodd-Frank Act, signed into law by President Obama in 2010. In the beginning, many companies complained that they had no way of knowing whether their products contained conflict minerals, given the multi-tier nature of their supply chains. Tough luck. The rule is now in place, and although it doesn't impose any fines for non-compliance, companies that don't go along or fail to eliminate conflict minerals from their products stand to lose big in the form of damaged brand value. And, of course, there's the basic moral principle that says we shouldn't be making product with forced labor. My guest today is Paul Noel, Senior Vice President of Procurement Solutions with Evalua. With the second phase of the SEC rule just around the corner, he talks about what companies should be doing to comply and how they can gain visibility of their hugely complex supply chains. Here's our conversation. Paul Noel, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much.
0: On the issue of conflict minerals and conflict minerals reporting, where do we stand right now? Do you have a sense of how companies have responded to the initial SEC rules on disclosing the amount of conflict minerals from the Democratic Republic of the Congo in high tech and other types of products?
1: Well, uh, you know, it, it really depends on the companies and, and how proactive they are with their whole supply chain. A lot of them are not are not obviously sourcing these things directly. So you have to know that, uh, it's somewhere in the bowels of whatever you're building and, uh, you have to care about that. And, and uh, certainly more companies these days are caring about it than they used to, uh, not simply because of the regulations, but because those regulations also kind of, uh, represent a risk to their supply chain. And, uh, if all of a sudden the, the regulation wasn't to report, but instead to, um, to stop doing those things or stop working with that country or whatever um well heck that's going to disrupt uh, more than just uh, their ability to to survive an audit it's going to disrupt their ability to serve their their customers so um i think the where where we stand is that um uh, depending on the companies the more forward looking and risk averse companies those companies that have a real good look at what the future risk pattern looks like have uh, bolstered their ability to report on these things and even find alternatives where, where they could.
0: Well, you make the important distinction between a rule and a regulation, and indeed the SEC's rules at this point merely require the disclosure of conflict minerals within products and do not impose any kind of a fine or any sort of a penalty if a company is found to actually be using that. Has that, I guess that has been enough up to now in order to spur action by companies. That would be number one question. And number two, do you think this will eventually evolve from a rule into a requirement?
1: I do think it has been enough. I mean, it's a little bit like you're, you know, you're driving Prius and, yeah, you're using the hybrid drive. But when you see the readout that you're using it, you try to use it more. Same sort of thing. It's it's that once you hear that the government is looking in a particular direction and saying, please tell us if you are using this, it's almost like they're saying, and oh, by the way, we may actually at some point in time say you (laughs) can't. And the again the, the, those with the, an outlook on the future and wanting to be able to supply in the foreseeable future with some consistency definitely look at that in fact I, I kind of like it as the regulatory environment most businesses don't like regulations and there's the whole stereotype around that but but in a sense the government is acting as a as a risk identifier and it's and it's not being heavy-handed in this regard when it goes about this path it may eventually be heavy-handed but It's giving fair warning, which I think the market appreciates.
0: In fact, the initial stage of the rules offers some kind of a loophole in the form of a conflict-undeterminable distinction. If a company just feels that at this point it can't figure it out, it can put that down. And I'm wondering if that weakens the rule at all, or what is the impact of being allowed to say, I just don't know?
1: So from the government standpoint, it does weaken the rule. And... There's a there's it's kind of subscribe to a game theory here by the government tipping its hand and saying we care about this, but we're not going to enforce anything right now. They, in, in a sense, give a little bit leeway and wherewithal to the business community to gird their loins, if you will, or or, or proactively go after the regulations so that they don't become more stringent on them instead of actually going and figuring out what the problem may be. In that sense, I'm not too happy with too much of the uh, let it go type of thing. But on the other hand, from a businessman's point of view, I just consider this fair warning. And that fair warning may be tied to certain things that if I was really thinking about it, I wouldn't want to have my supply uh, constrained by what a warlord wants in, somewhere in, in the Congo. Um, so those types of activities that are morally questionable are also, from a business point of view, when you get down to it, they're questionable from that point of view as well. Because crooks are crooks, and you don't want to do business with crooks. I think that the the watering down a little is a little bit overwhelming there. But uh, again, for those who are thinking about it the right way from a business point, they should use that as a warning and and take action not against the potential of regulation, but take action against the potential risk that they may realize anyway.
0: Even that being the case, though, should we cynically or at least realistically assume that this is merely a foot in the door that the regulators have placed and that inevitably this will become a requirement? What's your feeling about the possibility of that happening?
1: I think it's a good possibility. It's been done in other areas, right? Conflict diamonds and things like that. And the more warning you give to the market, the less of a disruption to the market it is. That's a good thing. The market hates uncertainty. And if they see that the government is leaning in that direction, and this is just a step process in that direction, then it's you know, regrettable that that's the situation, but it's better to be warned and to know rather than not to know.
0: Barring any specific studies, and for all I know there have been some, but I'm not aware of them at this point, do you have a sense of how much the public is aware of the entire conflict minerals issue?
1: I doubt they're very aware. I mean, I, you know what? It's kind of bled into the popular culture a little bit if you watch crime drama. <laughs> um, it <laughs> seems that conflict diamonds and other things like that show up a lot on uh, spy movies and, and on the streets of New York City during a law and order, particularly a three-letter acronym. I think to that extent, perhaps there is uh, a little bit more knowledge of it than there used to be. But I don't think people are understanding what effect it has. I mean, you could say... You know, I think the the popular one is conflict diamond. Okay, I get it. Conflict diamond, terrible situation, and the diamonds can be identified from where they are, and you can kind of slow that down. And they're not really key to to diamond. You know, maybe I just won't get that diamond bracelet. But conflict minerals are so fundamental to so much of our electronic lives. You know, I'm speaking to you through something that has minerals in it that could very well have been harvested from a, a mound of something somewhere in the middle of Africa, and the circumstances under which it was, it was uh, mined and, and brought to market are unknown to me. And, uh, you know, if you told me that there was a problem in that, in that region and then told me that, you know, there was terrible things going on and that, that would affect the price of my phone, I would be surprised. And I, and I know a little bit about this sort of thing. And I don't think most people really kind of connect all those dots.
0: Maybe it's a question of labels. I mean, just the the label Blood Diamonds just sounds so compelling. And, in fact, it was the basis of an entire movie. Um, yeah. I just wonder if people are going to get uh, that much excited about Blood Tin or Blood Tantalum or Blood Tungsten. It doesn't carry the same ring to it, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. Uh, I suppose that there would need to be some marketing on it for sure. Uh, to get it. <laughs>
0: but, but now, yeah. on top of that, no, now we have the Apple Watch which uh, right. the more the more luxury uh versions of the Apple watch are going are apparently containing a huge amount of gold and will actually take up a large percentage of the world's gold, <laughs> gold reserves going forward, assuming the sales are as expected, and so that's got to get people waking up because gold is one of the four conflict minerals in question here
1: uh certainly yeah and i and i I don't know when they look at the sales projections on that it, it may even touch a fourth of the world's gold reserve, which seems impossible. Either the selling or the gold, the price of gold or something like that would react to that uh, sort of situation. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's got, uh, you know, the luxury items have that element, but it's it's working in a different market now too, right? Or uh, it's actually making a totally new market, which is luxury tech. And I'm frankly not sure what, what the reaction will be in the market to that. I think it's still very much up in the air.
0: I imagine that companies still have a ways to go before complying fully. Let's say I'm a company that's a little behind the curve on this, and I want to get started on truly understanding where these conflict minerals exist in my products. What are the first steps I take? How do I begin this whole process?
1: Yeah, this is hard, especially if you're a little bit behind. I mean, you've got your subcontractors, and then you've got their word to go on. If you're using subcontractors and then they're buying uh, things from other folks, it, it could be a number of rungs back in the chain that's uh, quite hard to get to. And so I, I think it comes down to knowing your bill of materials. Um, a, a good manufacturer knows the components that go into their system. They may not know the elements of those components perfectly at first, but really, job number one is to get a good, good, clean view of what the heck is on the on the board that's inside of that. device or whatever, get it at the component level, at that first level component level, because the components are still somewhat visible. They've got numbers and labels and uh, even made in or fabricated in, and they've got some of those things, which is the start of the chain of events that you need to go to trace it back to its origin. Um, And you'd be surprised how many organizations that aren't quite fully buttoned up or are using um, sub-assemblies from third parties or other OEMs that don't know what's on what's inside at the, at the component level and therefore have no chance of being able to go back beyond that.
0: That's what I was thinking. I'm thinking like at the tier one or tier two level, your bill of materials might state something like circuit board. Uh, Right. I mean, something, something that is already semi assembled. And at that point, it's not going to tell you what those raw materials are. And so Extending that bill of materials back up multiple tiers cannot be easy, and yet, I guess you're implying uh, clearly it's not impossible. (laughs) You know, companies are
1: doing it. It's not impossible. So, to to your analogy, it wouldn't say it wouldn't say circuit board. That's actually one extra level. It it would say PCBa, which is printed circuit assembly board. uh, PC printed circuit board assembly, and that means that it's a circuit board with stuff on it, and the stuff that's on it. Is one layer removed from these folks, to your point? Because they just bought the whole thing assembled for them. And so that's the next level. Okay, so you've created... I'm buying this assembly from you, so you must know all of the resistors, capacitors, and integrated circuits and and everything else that goes on there, crystals and whatever. Please tell me what those are and where they're made. And that's, that's the... the the thing that you're putting that on the the next level of companies. Now, those companies that sell fully assembled printed circuit boards are, in theory, because of these rules from the government, being asked these same questions by different of their customers. And so there is a consolidation here. It's not like this explodes into a huge mound of of work. There's, There's a constrained set of these folks that are eventually giving something like I think what the Samsung is, the glass that's on the iPhone, right, or something like I think. Um, you, you, you come back to these base suppliers, and they will get inquiries from multiple of their clients asking for this kind of data, and they can get this done in one fell swoop if they do a good job at it and push it on down the line from there. So it, it really takes everybody holding hands and doing it. That's what a supply chain is about, me ordering something, and and eventually that demand signal coming all the, getting all the way down into the depths of Africa to get something from the mine. It's the same triggering action that this, uh, this these inquiries are about. It's just about knowing who you're buying from.
0: Well, you just put your finger on it when you said from the mine, because it's not enough to say that I understand this is from the Congo, from the DRC, because not every yeah. mine in the DRC is a conflict mine. And so it's it's specific to the mine that it comes from now. My understanding is the only stage, the last possible stage at which that is determinable is the smelter. Past the smelter, it's all mixed up and you can't tell, right?
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. And And you also are getting down to a local level where people will report things differently than they actually happened. The supply chain works well down to a point where the uh, benefit of fudging things is about equal to the to the risk of getting caught fudging things. It could happen higher. It could happen at the subassembly maker, but but it's it's uh, for sure uh, a risk down at that level. And I'm going to go out on a uh, I'm going to say something that might be relatively contrarian. I'm not sure, but I would embrace those folks, the people driving these these issues. Right there are. Third party, uh, non governmental organizations who dedicate their lives to raising this issue and who are on the opposite end, if you will, from the industry on the lobbying track in Washington, D.C., saying we should have these regulations about conflict minerals. Well, I think that the industry should come back and say, all right, well, um, tell us, tell us where to look. Help us get that issue resolved. So that we can be cleaned. You know, I think the the forward-looking oil and gas industries are doing this too. They they work with environmentalists in some areas to uh, mitigate the risks that the environmentalists are pointing out. Even though they may be at odds with each other on a lot of things, this uh, is sort of a place where, uh, if you will, you get some free resources to find things in a very helpful way for for the industry. And I, I would I would say that that's not a bad idea. I mean, it's worth a try.
0: And and in fact, we're not without possible solutions. There is a smelter validation program in effect, industry generated smelter validation program, and so that seems to be at least a good a good path in that direction. That plus the NGOs, and again, not an impossible goal given that, right? Yeah. What about technology solutions report that would help companies to organize this to get a better visibility of their supply chain, to support the actual reporting process? Are they of any value on the IT side?
1: Well, yeah. Now, I mean, you're getting into an area where I operate is basically, you know, building technologies that help automate those very hard processes of humans uh, talking to each other and 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 doing things that are sort of one-offs. There's a couple aspects to reporting on something like conflict minerals or what your supply chain risks are. One of them is having the ability to do a lot of data management data crunching you know you go down one level you build materials and you go down another and now you're talking about a different set of suppliers and you have to bring in the geographies part and the fact that maybe suppliers sourcing from this area but they're actually assembling in this other area there's a lot of data and so technology has a very big role to play because humans are really good at at inferring things from various disparate sources but they're really quite terrible at memorizing stuff and and, and organizing it, and that's what the IT group or an IT organizations and technologies are supposed to help with. So, number one, data. The second one is, and, and with data comes the analytics of that data. So, you, you can't just throw it all into a database or, or whatever. You need to have the, the analysis necessary. Second one is more the project management of things. Each one of these things is an initiative. It's a, it's something with a a goal, defined, a defined beginning and an end. It's got stakeholders that need to be kept up to speed. It's got a timeline. It's got a budget. It's going to have lots of different moving parts. It's going to have a sequence of events that need to happen, dependencies and and constraints and so on. All of these things are aspects of project management and technology can really help with organizing around that because you're going to have collaborative processes across not just different people within the organization, but with different organizations and giving them all logins to the solution and having them see what they're supposed to see um, so that they can participate in the project and make it as efficient as possible. These are, these are the second level of things that a technology solution should be able to do. The, the further things that technology can do are much more esoteric and I, I can't speak to them as well because they're harder to do right? probably, but, you know, things like doing uh chemical analysis of, of minerals and specific parts of your board and, um, you know, doing things like that to try to surmise if they uh, are conflict and, and trying to get around the backtracking process that we talked about and go straight to the source and try to see if you could figure things out from there. I'm not sure if that, that would work or not for, some, for certain things. certainly worked with blood diamonds, but it may not work with these minerals. But those kind of technology solutions are a little bit beyond me, but that's kind of a, a nice thing if you ever were able to do it easily.
0: Do you think the issue is going to broaden in the years ahead? I mean, right now we're talking about four specific minerals in one specific country and specific mines within that country. There's also issues, as you say, blood diamonds from other places. There's uh, cotton picked by child labor in Uzbekistan. There's any number of possibilities. I'm wondering if companies can expect to be to see additional reporting rules and maybe even rules with teeth that cover a much broader a series of raw materials that go into their products and global supply chains.
1: International trade has existed for a long time now, a couple centuries at least, in a a very scaled way. And what's different now is that we're we're so much more connected with the far-flung reaches of the Earth and we realize what's happening in some places and we, in theory, care more, or at least it's more visible and therefore we, we... the caring gene comes to play. So I think I think unless there's some sort of retrenchment on that subject, and some you know unless there's some movement of people saying, I don't care how I got it, I'm just glad I got it, and that sort of thing, like we see in the latest crop of dystopian future movies that we see. Um, unless we go that way, which I don't kind of foresee, well, there's going to be more of this. And again, the idea from a business person's point of view isn't that, oh my gosh, there's some conflict in the Congo and I have to explain why I'm, I'm doing something there. It's, oh my gosh, there's conflict in the Congo and there's a lot of minerals there. That's not good <laughs> because conflict. <laughs> it's not good to get your stuff from a place where there's conflict. That's the gist of it here is that it's, even if the government didn't bring it up, it'd still be a risk. And those those companies who are smart, are remembering that and putting in place a framework for dealing with this no matter where it's happening and uh, not just mm-hmm. going after the one-off or trying to trying to dismantle the regulations. That may work in the short term, but it's not going to help you in the long term.
0: And certainly they profess to care publicly. Every single major sure. apparel company and high-tech company has some kind of supplier code of conduct or sourcing code of conduct. And so whether that actually manifests itself in reality it's another question, but I guess we've made progress, right? It seems yeah. like a better than before. So we Yeah, don't...
1: we're talking about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's and there's, step and one. there's and there is techno- and there is technology out there to help with it. So there's a little cottage industry of making it better, um, addressing the issues that are annoying for a company to have to go through. Um so it's it's incremental, but it's it's um it's not gonna go away. Um, you know bad well, bad practices from a moral point of view are bad practices from a business point of view that's my that's my convention here um, yeah so okay You better go after it anyway
0: great well paul paul noel i want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us on the issue of conflict minerals a really essential subject in global supply chain management today thanks very much for being with us
1: well thank you for having me i appreciate the uh, the time
0: That was my conversation with Paul Noel of Evalua, talking about how manufacturers can get in line with the new reporting rules on conflict minerals. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain.